Would you stand for the reading of God's Word, please? The greatest love story the world has ever known. John 3, 16, and we'll read down through verse 21. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Father, we're so grateful for this text. And it certainly points out that the greatest gift is not to be found under the tree, but hanging upon the tree as he died for our sins. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for your love for us. And what a great thing this Christmas day if someone in here for the first time came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. May your spirit speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1597, William Shakespeare first published what has become the classic love story of all time, Romeo and Juliet. It's classified as a tragic drama. Now, for those who already know the story, bear with me a moment while I summarize it for the rest of us. For many years, an ongoing feud between two families had caused a great deal of disruption in the city of Verona, Italy. The Capulets and the Montagues cannot get along and there have been many deaths because of this feud. As the stage opens, Romeo, a Montague, enters. He's recently been denied the love of Rosaline. He's miserable over this. His friend and cousin, Benvalia, enters and decides that they will go to the Capulette feast in disguise so that he can prove to Romeo that other pretty women exist in the world. Now at the feast, Romeo meets Juliet and it is love at first sight. Eventually they decide to marry And they enlist the help of Friar Lawrence who agrees to marry them in hopes that the marriage will end the feud between the two families. Later that afternoon, Tybalt, a nephew of Lady Capulet, enters. He meets Romeo and starts a fight with him because he's learned that Romeo, again a Montague, has gone to the Capulet feast. 
A friend of Romeo's is outraged by Tybalt's challenge of Romeo and fights him in a duel. Tybalt kills the friend and in return, Romeo kills him. As punishment, Romeo is exiled from Verona. In hiding, he's ready to commit suicide, but Friar Lawrence convinces him to go to Juliet first and say goodbye. Meanwhile, it's been arranged for Juliet to marry another, Count Paris. She refuses, but her father prevails, and so the wedding is set. Friar Lawrence gives Juliet a a potion that will make her appear dead. They have a funeral for Juliet and she's laid in a tomb or a mausoleum. Romeo hears of Juliet's death and tragically he's not been told that Juliet is not really dead and that eventually the potion will wear off. Romeo buys a a vial of poison and goes to the tomb of Juliet. There he encounters Count Paris who was to marry Juliet. He kills Paris and then drinks his own poison and dies alongside of Juliet. Just then Juliet awakens from her potion, sees Romeo dead, kisses him and plunges his sword into herself and she dies there with him. When the grieving families discover what has happened, Friar Lawrence explains everything and the Capulets and the Montagues agree that the pain they have caused has been too great and from now on the family feud will be over. Now folks, in the literary world, everybody in the literary world would probably say Romeo and Juliet is the greatest love story ever known to man. But I beg to differ. The greatest love story known to man is found in these simple words that I've just read this morning. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the greatest love story known to man. What is it that makes it so great? Let's look at that this morning. First of all, I want you to see with me the statement of God's love. Beginning there in verse 16, John writes, For God so loved the world. Now, in the Greek text, there were four primary words for love. There was the word storge love. Storge love is family affection like a parent would have for a child. And then there was eros love. This was sensual, fleshly love. Eros love is the love that Hollywood promotes today. And by the way, that was a word for love that is never found in the Greek New Testament. And then there was the word phileo love, friendship love, kinship love. Between friends, between brothers. And then there was the word agape love or agapeo love. And, and this is the greatest word of all for love. It is a self-giving, self-sacrificing type love. It is agape love. That is used here in John 3.16. For God so loved the world. 
Folks, when I think of God's love, I, think, I cannot help but think of those parables in Luke chapter 15. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus is telling a story about lost things. There's a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. We know it as the parable of the prodigal son. The guy has 99 sheep and he's missing one and he leaves 99 while he goes and searches for the one. He will not be satisfied until all 100 sheep are safely in the fold. And then the woman finds her set of coins, her headset is missing a coin and so she moves all the furniture around. She sweeps her house clean. She finds her coin and she calls all friends over and they have a party and then there's a son that has gone away into a far country and when he comes home the father runs to him kills the fatted calf and they have a celebration now do you remember the context of all of those parables that points out the love of God You see, the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining to Jesus because he was sitting down and he was dining, he was eating, he was fellowshipping with sinners and tax collectors. And so Jesus told those series, that series of parables to show what the Father's love is like, that the Father relentlessly goes after things that are lost. And aren't you glad that he does? For God so loved the world. I think also of Romans chapter 8. Where Paul says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. And yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The greatest driving force in the world is the love of God. There's that beautiful thread, that scarlet thread of redemption that runs all through the Bible from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. And Jesus Christ is the centerpiece of that story of redemption. God moves all of the nations in all of human history to bring about man's redemption. Why does God do that? Because of his love. John writes here, for God so loved the world. And folks, that speaks of all classes of people. Rich and poor alike, Jew and Gentile, God is not a respecter of persons. In Isaiah 55, 1, the Bible says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. An invitation to all. Why? Because God so loves the world. Think of who this God is. 
He's eternal. He's self-existing. He's uncreated. He has need of nothing. He's omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. He's Elohim. Jehovah, Yahweh, Adonai, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha. The God who has revealed himself in so many names in the Bible. He's the God who is high and lifted up. Remember Isaiah's vision of him in the temple? Isaiah saw God high and lifted up. And when he saw God high and lifted up, he was certain of one thing. Isaiah was certain that he was about to die. He's the one adored by angels and cherubim and seraphim. Fly in his presence and with their wings they cover their face as they cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Ladies and gentlemen, it is this God, holy and high and lifted up, who so loved the world. God's love is never in question. It's not, the, it's not like the love that kids, kids used to play. The, the game with the, the, the flower, the dandelion. When little kids would be in love with one another. Uh, he loves me, he loves me not. Or she loves me, she loves me not. And, and they were always questioning what pedal would they end up on. Would it be that she loves me or she loves me not? There was always a question, always a doubt. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there is no doubt about God's love. Secondly, I want you to see the showing of God's love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You see, folks, love is not an empty statement. He loved and so he gave. In 1 John 3, 16, it says, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Because love by its very nature is giving. Love certainly touches the emotions, but it's more than emotions. It's a decision. You marry someone and you stay with them even though they chew their toenails in bed. Because love is a decision. It's a choice. And love gives. What did God give? God gave his son. Jesus is God's only begotten son. It means unique. No one else like him. Never has been, never will be. He's special. He's above all. Born of a virgin. God was his father. There's no one else like him. Fully God and fully man. God gave his best for you and for me. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Folks, I want you to understand this morning. You were not redeemed with cheap things. You were not even redeemed with silver and gold. Things that would be precious in this world. But you were redeemed with something more precious than that. You were redeemed with the blood of the Lamb. God gave His Son. Many of you will remember an illustration I gave probably a decade ago. Bears repeating. It's the story of that little boy at a revival one time. And he, he went home so troubled. 
Because the evangelist got up and, and gave an illustration, poor theology, I know he meant well, but still it troubled the little boy. You see, the evangelist put a, a drinking glass up on the pulpit, and then he took a hammer in one hand, and he had a frying pan in the other, and he said, this drinking glass is like you. And this hammer is God. And this pan is Jesus. And he reared back with a hammer to smash the glass. And at the last moment, he moved the frying pan in front of the glass. The hammer hit the frying pan and the clanging of it rang out through the whole sanctuary. He said, Jesus got in the way and took God's wrath. Well, the little boy went home troubled. He said, you know, Jesus I can love, but how can I love God? God was going to smash me. You see, that's drawing a disparity between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. There is no disparity. The Father so loved the world that what did He do? He gave His only begotten Son. It is the Father who gave. Why did he send him in the flesh? Listen to one apologist. He says, because our sins are against a God of infinite holiness, they are of infinite consequence. And so the proper punishment for them is infinite. Now, we are finite, so we can experience infinite punishment in a finite period of time. It takes eternity for us to experience infinite punishment. God planned for someone to bear our punishment as our substitute, but whoever would do it would have to be capable of bearing infinite punishment in a finite time. That's why the substitute had to be infinite himself. That's why the Son of God became a man so that as a man he could properly represent those for whom he died and as God his payment could be infinite and that's to satisfy the justice of God's infinite holiness. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Thirdly, I want you to see this morning the surety of God's love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I want you to think of those words with me a moment this morning. That whosoever, whosoever, God loves the world but it is personal, it is whosoever. And that means you can put your name and I can put my name in that blank. God calls us to trust his son. That's the intent behind God's love and God's gift. Somebody asked Jesus on one occasion, and what is the will of God? And he responded, the will of God is this, to believe in God and in his only son whom he has sent. God intended in sending the son that you might have eternal life. Now think of that word perish. It's a strong word. Somebody asked uh, Charles Spurgeon, that great Baptist preacher on one occasion, to explain that word. What does the word perish mean? Spurgeon responded by saying, well, it means exactly what it says. That the one who doesn't believe in him shall perish, shall eternally be condemned. 
Perish means we not only die physically, but we die spiritually. Why did God give his son that that outcome would be avoided? Look at verse 17. It says, Christ did not come to judge, but to save. Now later it says, he came to judge. Now those two thoughts are easy to reconcile in the scripture. Christ did not come in his first advent to judge. What did he come to do? He came to save. But since salvation is only through him, the flip side of the coin is true too. That if a person rejects God's gift of salvation, the only thing left is judgment you see by him dying on the cross to save you for your sins doesn't mean it's automatic for everybody men must believe and sadly most won't Jesus came to die for you that means you and I need what Jesus has to offer as John says in 1 John 1 if we say that we have no sin we make God a liar if you were to go to a mall this week now that's probably pretty bad to bring up on Christmas morning isn't it because some of you have lived in a mall this past week but if you were to go, go to a mall this coming week and say why did Jesus come the majority of folks would probably say he came to be a great humanitarian example but folks that's not good enough he came to die for your sin to be made sin in your place that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The surety of his love is that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's God's promise. And then lastly, I want you to see the spurning of God's love. You wouldn't expect these verses in the text, but look at these verses. Beginning in verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment that light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God folks these words may not be expected at this point but they're just as important in this text as the words that have already come the flow of the passage points out both sides of what God's done. When God's son stepped off the throne of the universe the first time to come down to earth, it was God's love he came to reveal. His purpose in coming was not to condemn but to save. But let nobody despise the grace of God because when he steps off his throne, the next time he comes to earth, it will be God's wrath that he comes to to reveal but guess what if you don't believe you don't even have to wait for that because John says here if you don't believe you stand condemned all 
ready. You are already under the judgment of God. That's how serious it is to reject Jesus Christ. What a great text here. Follow the order here. Light has come into the world. Light. Think of that. When we think of light coming into the world to the person, to the Jew in the New Testament, they would immediately have thought about the Shekinah glory of God in the Old Testament. Remember the Shekinah glory of God when God would show up in some great, magnificent way and they could not even approach Him. Well, after the temple was destroyed, guess what? The glory of God, the Shekinah of glory of God disappeared. And the Jews believed that it would not show up again until the time of the Messiah. In fact, the book of Zechariah points that out, that the Shekinah glory of God would show up again one day when God sent His Son, the Messiah. And so fast forward to where we are here. In Luke chapter 2, as Amy mentioned a moment ago, there the shepherds were out in the fields and all of a sudden what happened? The angels, the heavenly host, the light, the shepherds immediately were afraid. Uh, They were told not to be afraid. What did they see? The Shekinah glory of God. Why? Because they told the shepherds, unto you this day in the city of David, a Savior has been born, Christ the Lord. With the coming of Jesus Christ, the Shekinah glory of God showed up. But what do men do? Men are wicked and so they want to push that light out of the way just like Herod. What did Herod want to do when Jesus, when he found out about Jesus' birth? He wanted to take his life. He wanted to kill the Son of God. Why? Because he was wicked. But ladies and gentlemen... People today are just like Herod in many ways. Because they don't want to bow the knee to another king. They want to be king of their own lives. They want to rule their own life, their own destiny. They're quite happy with their lying and stealing and their lust and their cheating. But I want you to follow the beauty of John's order here. Look look at the beauty that shows up in verse 21. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Such a one is not afraid to come to the light. He's not afraid to lay his life before God because he wants the approval of God more than the approval of of men. He's not afraid of the convicting and the changing that God does. He desires that. And that's the promise here. That the one who comes to the light, his sins can be washed away and he can have new life. Forever and ever and ever. I want to ask you to bow your heads and pray with me a moment, please. Let's go back to the story of Romeo and Juliet for just a minute. Things are not always as they appear. 
Juliet was not dead. She was waiting on her beloved Romeo. If only Romeo would have known. If only Friar Lawrence had gotten to him. What might that information have done? It would have changed everything. They could have lived happily ever after. But Romeo didn't know. What a tragedy. It didn't have to end that way. Well, folks, this morning, you can't claim ignorance because we've just read it together and I've told you. The greatest love story the world has ever known, God sending His Son, does not have to end up a tragedy for you. But you must come to Him. You must come to him. You must believe. And if you come to him and believe, then guess what? You can be a part of the greatest love story known to man. I wonder if there's somebody in here this morning that that needs to do exactly that. You need to come to Christ. Today as you open gifts or enjoy the gifts you've already opened, make it your prayer that somehow, someway, through the Spirit of the living God, that just as Paul prayed for the Ephesians, that your eyes might be open to the length, the height, the width, and the depth of the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ask God that He might give you the wisdom and the strength needed to live your life each day out of the resources of His love. Father, we thank you for these verses. The promise that whosoever will may come. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will in no way cast them out. God, I pray that on this Christmas morning, somebody in this place might come to Jesus Christ. And say, Lord, I need you to forgive me of all of my sin. I need peace with God. Would you come into my heart? And from this moment forward, would you be the Lord and the Savior of my life? I submit to you. Lord, thank you. That your love was not just word. You gave. May we accept your gift. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.